and sisters, praise the Lord. We are truly made to live for Christ. I invite you to please open your Bibles to the epistle, the letter of the Apostle Paul to the Ephesians chapter 6. I will read the first four verses and then from verse 10 to 18. Ephesians 6, 1 through 4 and then 10 to 18. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace in all circumstances. Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplications, supplication for all the saints. Amen. Please be seated. We are in the book of Ephesians, and many times we preach from this book. Ephesians is the book of the church, the letter to the church. Although it is specifically addressed to the church of Ephesus, the Ephesians, it is universally applicable to all the churches, to the church of Christ, the universal body of Christ. It's called the Ecclesia letter. Ecclesia means the church, the called out ones. What are we called out from? We're called out from the world to represent the body of Christ, to represent Jesus and to carry the mandate of the kingdom into, um, in this world. Um, so if the world were to, people in the world were to ask, okay, so we really don't know how this God is like, because uh, the, the notion of God is so abstract and um, intangible to us, they should look at the church and be able to say, we know God because we see the church. Because you see the ecclesia, the church, the called out ones, are a touch point between heaven and earth where God manifests himself in the church. So when those outside, when they claim, now we really don't know how this God is, if really he exists, how is he like, they should be able to look at the church, the representative body of Christ, the ambassadors of Christ, of Christ and say, we know now how God is like. The book of Ephesians is divided into, you know, the first three chapters, if you want the gospel indicatives, and then the last three chapters, the gospel imperatives. Indicatives and imperatives. In other words, in the first three chapters, we are described, we are given, or 
we are told who we are in Christ, what God has done for us is the theology of salvation. And then in the last three chapters, and of course you cannot draw strict lines because you're going to see applications in the first three chapters too, but overall the first three chapters are indicative and then in nature, and then in the last three chapters there are a lot of imperatives. How do we apply that which we learn in the first three chapters? And today in chapter 6, we see a lot of imperatives. I will start with verse 10, and then if I have time, I will go back through to the first four verses. But the Apostle Paul says here in verse 10, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his mind. Finally, which means if until now, in other words, it could be translated, if until now you paid attention, and you should have, because everything is important, now at last, the last point that I want to drive home with you, the last point that is very important, is this. Finally, and I want your attention, your full undivided attention, for what I'm about to say, the Apostle Paul would say, is very, very important. Be strong in the Lord, and in the strength of his might. We are not to drive our strength from who we are intrinsically apart from the Lord. How intelligent we are, how rich we are, how capable we are. We draw our strength from God. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. I love um, the fact that the Apostle Paul emphasizes quite a lot in the Lord. If you look in his epistles or letters, in Christ, in the Lord, in God is, is mentioned, this syntax, this um, expression is mentioned 164 times. In this letter alone, I try to count how many times the Apostle Paul says in Christ, and I counted at least over 30, but I may have missed out some of the expressions. And I would like to to say that it is so important that we understand that everything that we are in the body of Christ, as the ecclesia, as the called out ones, we are in Christ. And apart from Christ, we cannot do anything. And allow me very briefly to just mention a few of the benefits that we have in Christ, who we are in Christ, what we have in Christ, and what we are to do in Christ. So in verse one, in chapter 1, 3, the Father has blessed us in Christ. We are not blessed apart from Christ. We are blessed in Christ. We are chosen in Him. We are predestined to adoption in Jesus. In Him we have forgiveness. We cannot have forgiveness of our trespasses apart from Christ. It is in Christ that we find forgiveness. He will unite all things in Him, in Christ. In Him, we have an inheritance. In Him, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. The Father will give us the spirit of wisdom or has given us the spirit of wisdom in Christ. He raised us. He transferred us, seated us with Jesus in Christ in the heavenly realms. I could go on and on. There are, there are many, many verses throughout the chapters, especially 1, 2, and 3, and then even in 4 and 5. But the Apostle Paul wants to say it is so important that you understand you cannot do, you cannot function, you cannot do church, you cannot represent Christ apart from Him. Okay, so how is that applicable? What can we do to make sure that we are in Christ every day? 
Well, you have to surrender every single day and say, Lord, I will live today for your glory, but it's not in my ability to represent you, to bring honor to your name, but it is from you, in you, so please empower me. Every day, surrounding to Christ. How can you be in Christ? Of course, it starts with your faith, with your belief, with your proclaimed and declared faith in Christ. But then it's a process every day. I want to be in Christ. Lord, I, I have come to the realization that I cannot do anything. I cannot fight against the schemes of the enemy. I cannot wrestle against the strategy, strategies of the evil one apart from you. I need your power. As we were talking last night at Brother Lemony's house, well, how, how are we to live out this Christian life? How can we represent God? And it is a process. It is training. As the Apostle Paul tells Timothy, train yourself in righteousness. Where you, you come to the point where you are trained and used to asking yourself, what would Jesus do in this situation? How would Jesus speak? How would Jesus act? What would Jesus do now? And say, Jesus, I know how you would do this. Please empower me to be the same. The Apostle Paul goes on here and says, put on the whole armor of God. We need to be equipped. There's a training. There's a process. And God equips us to be able to stand against the wiles or the schemes of the enemy. The Apostle Paul in the gospel, in the in the uh, uh, in Acts, in the book of Acts, Luke writes it. But the uh, the, uh, the apostle Paul, addressing the Areopagus, says, "For in him we live and move and have our being." As some of our own poets said, "We are his offspring." In him, we cannot do anything apart from him. In him we have our move and our being. And we live in Him. Jesus Christ Himself in chapter 15 of John says this, Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, apart from me you can do nothing. In Christ, in Him, we can overcome. We are equipped, we are trained to be able to withstand the attacks of the enemy. Now contrasted by the expression in Christ, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians says, in, for example, in chapter 2, 1, in your sins you are dead. So you can be either in Christ or in your sins. He also says, in your transgressions, or in 2.3, in the passions of your flesh. 4.17, in the futility of your minds, darkened in your understanding. And why am I emphasizing this? Is because today I'm going to speak about the belt of truth. And I will show you, or I will attempt to show you how the ideology of the world can influence us to, to think in a way that is worldly and to even approach the Bible, to approach holy things in a worldly way. The contrast between being in Christ or being in the flesh, being in Jesus, forgiven, having redemption, having all the benefits of the cross, or being in your sinful ways. The Bible says, put on the whole armor two times. The Apostle Paul emphasizes, it is so important to put on the whole armor, not just some 
pieces of, ar of armory, but the whole armor. It says here six times in, 11, in verses 11 to 12, put on the whole armor that you may be able to stand against. So the word against is mentioned six times against the schemes of the devil, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against, again, against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this, over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces. This shows some, some sort of contention, a continuous contention that is going on between us as the church, as the representatives of Christ, and the evil forces. And we are called to be aware of the schemes of the devil. You know, there are two polarized tendencies, and both of them are erroneous. To ignore the devil and his demonic activity, and to say, oh, you know what, I'm not really sure about this, so I'm not going to delve into that because it's even dangerous. And some of, them, some of us will even say, I'm not going to do that because it might come back and affect me, so I'm going to stay away from it. That is very dangerous. That's not good. That's not biblical. In Christ, we are victorious. Jesus triumphed over all the powers of evil at the cross. Put them to open shame. In Christ, again, in Jesus, we are victorious. And we are not to ignore the strategies and schemes of the devil. On the other hand, at the other end of the spectrum, uh, another danger would be to be excessively preoccupied with demons. Now, I remember that in Romania, a person that I knew really well, she was a Christian, but she was caught up in this cycle, a vicious cycle of lying. Uh, she would confabulate all the time, and then she would feel bad, and she would you know, cry out before God and say, Lord, I'm sorry, I lied again, this is so wrong. And it was like a repetitive thing over and over again. And she would cry before God, she would repent, and then she would fall back into the same sin. Because you see, the more, the more you sin, the more you give a, a way up to the devil into your life. You know, it's like making a path. If you go through a field and step on the grass, the first time you can barely say, see it, but if you keep walking on the same path, a path is formed, and then grass is hard to grow back there. And that's what happens when we live in habitual sin. You sin over and over again, you kind of give a, a, a right to the enemy to invade your life. So this person came to desperation. In her desperation, she said, I was going to commit suicide. I was going to throw myself off a building because I couldn't live in this vicious cycle anymore. I thought God didn't love me anymore because he didn't set me free. I was crying out to him and then back to lying and back to lying. And uh, until God providentially brought a person in her life that was able to sever that connection of the devil. And in the name of Jesus to command that evil spirit of lying to leave her. After repenting and asking for the manifestation of the power of the Holy Spirit and the blood of Jesus to cleanse her, she was set free. Now this person really coiled and there was some physical uh, reaction to that. But the person had the authority to say, in the name of Jesus. Now you may say, well, that person may have been well equipped, we're not. Brothers and sisters, we are all in Christ. In Christ, we have, we have the authority that God gives us. And we are to be aware of the schemes of the enemy. Now, but now, on the other hand, some people will say, well, everything's a demon. You know, uh, 
um, I remember there were some people in Romania that came with the, it was called the, the deliverance group and they would give a, they gave us pamphlets with um, a lot of scenarios. So one of them would be if you ever stepped inside an Orthodox church you have an Orthodox demon. Uh, brothers and sisters, that's another fallacy. That's another extreme that we need to repudiate. The first enemy that we have to fight against, that we need to contend against, is our flesh, ourselves. Spurgeon was teaching his uh, students how to preach, and one of his students said, well, I want to preach out of Ephesians 6 about the spiritual warfare. And um, he very eloquently and... Uh, you know, he was very confident. He presented the, the warfare and he said, with all this armory, with the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, with the breastplate of righteousness, with the shoes of the uh, gospel of peace on, and uh, uh, with the shield of faith, this person was crying out loud, where is the enemy? And Spurgeon couldn't stop. He wanted to put his hand on his mouth not to say anything, but he said out loud, the enemy is in the armor. He may have the armor right here to protect you, but inside there's another enemy that we need to fight against. Yeah, there are two tendencies. One to say, oh, we're, we're going to stay away from the, the, uh, you know, the activities of demons. We're not going to address this at all. Or on the other hand, everything's a demon. Brothers and sisters, as, as we were told this morning, we, stand, we need to stay in the scriptures and look at the life of Jesus Christ, how he approached every situation. Not every situation was a demon, but there were many situations that were caused by demonic activity. As Christians, as mature Christians, having the awareness of who we are in Christ, we need to operate in that field, not just to speak about it, when we understand there is a, a connection, there's, there's an oppression, an oppressive presence of a demon in the life of a person and needs help, we, together, in the name of Jesus, need to come around that person. And I am glad, I want to say this, I'm glad that we do this in this church. Yes. You probably are not aware of all the situations, but there are. Our elders do pray for people that are under oppression many times. And they see deliverance. We need to also grow into that capacity where we can help one another. The schemes of the devil. You see, there's an evil day. It says here that um, to be able to withstand the attacks of the enemy, to, be, to, to, to remain standing after you have overcome everything, in the evil day, now what is the evil day? The evil day may be a te the, the day of your test, the day of trials, the day of suffering, where your mind will be probed and you're going to start questioning. But it can also be this present day. I was talking to my father-in-law the other day and um, I realized that living in communism under oppression and lacking many opportunities that my children benefit from was not actually the hardest thing spiritually. I believe that our children are faced with much harder warfare nowadays than we were under communism. This, my brothers and sisters, is the evil day. This is the day that the Bible talks about, fall, about the falling away from faith. Because as we see here, 
we live, for the next minutes I want to focus on this, we live in a postmodern world that influences our thinking. Now I, as an educator, I have the opportunity to see many classes and I see how curriculums are um, presented to students. And don't get me wrong, I think we have fabulous teachers and I'm glad to learn from many teachers in Troy. But the overarching philosophy, ideology, is not necessarily the best one. The Bible says here, Stand therefore, verse 14, having fastened on the belt of truth. Of truth. And nowadays truth is so volatile, so fluid, so parochial if you want. Depending on the culture you are in. It is so relative. I found an article, and I'm going to go fast through some of... Um, some of the ideas in this article, unfortunately the author didn't put his name down, I would have cited, cited it here. Um, I just want to show you how in the educational system ideas are inoculated to our children, not necessarily only educational, but throughout in the whole society and uh, conditions the way we think and approach everyday life. A key pillar of the postmodern world is the reject rejection of all overarching stories. There's no meta-narratives. Anything that explains the meaning of life is invalid. Whereas modernity, during modernity, Self, human self-confidence was glorified and we saw the rational scientific achievements post-modernity declare such utopian triumphalism in favor of a modest if not despairing stance towards the idea of truth as unitary and universal. So rejection of any truth that is unitary or universal. Truth is not outside ourselves. In place of the universal, post-modernity focuses on the particular. There's no simple reality, only representations of it. There's no singular truth, only multiple truths. There's no grand reason, only socially defined reasons. As a way of looking at the world, postmodernism is the worldview that says no worldview exists. It denies the possibility of a God's view or God's eye view of anything. And in place of the universal, an objective truth that transcends all expressions of it. Postmodern pluralists argue we have only community-specific stories. Stories. Everybody's got their own story, which is conditioned by the confines of their cultural background and their limitations, language limitations. And that's true for you guys. And you heard it many times. Okay, I respect you. That's true for you, but it's not true for me. You see it permeated and imbibed in the whole society where a universal truth is questioned. And we are taught to believe that, okay, maybe those guys have some sort of truth, and it's not my truth, but there's a plurality of truths. The idea of an independent external reality is dismissed as myth. Derrida, Jacques Derrida, 
He is one of the proponents of this philosophy. He's one of the greatest influencers um, nowadays. He said, we don't need to know what the author's intentions were. Whenever we read a book, we don't need to figure out why he wrote the book and how, why he wrote the way he wrote. The death of the author. What matters now is your own interpretation and how you can internalize that which you read. What kind of meaning you give to that. That is what valid because you don't need to verify and see that whatever you believe squares with reality if it works for you. So it's very pragmatic in nature. If it works for you, if it feels good for you, then embrace it as your truth. And the Bible says there's one truth, and that is Jesus Christ. Another, I'm going to skip here if anybody's interested. This is a really good read. I'm going to give you a copy or you know, the, the link to this uh, article. But one of, one of the things that was also mentioned in that article, that nonconformity is one of the traits, the characteristics of this movement, where you don't have to conform, where children can do whatever they want. And I know the Bible says here, children obey your parents, and now they're told, no, you have to assess for your own self what you need to be like and what you need to do. Don't even regard what your parents say. There is a systemic suspicion towards authority. And um, the only... The only assessment that is true, if you want, is your own. In the absence of a frame or reference other than oneself, each person becomes his or her own authority, interpreting facts. There's a lot of nonconformity. It's interesting, though, that all nonconformists kind of look alike, ironically, and all anarchists need a leader, right? It's a matter of interpretation. However you interpret the truth, that is what is the truth. And I, there's a funny story that I want to relate to you. Two chrono chronologically advanced women, to use a euphemism for old, were driving and they're pulled over by a cop. And um, the cop says to the driver lady, do you know how fast you are going? And she says, sir, yes, I'm very fastidious about these things, of course. I was going 20 miles an hour. And he said, exactly. And that is way below the speed limit, the lower speed limit. You are on a highway. The minimum speed limit is 45. She's like, uh, sir, excuse me, a few hundred feet behind me, I saw a big sign that said 20. And uh, he said, ma'am, with all due respect, that just says that that's highway 20 and then he looked over to the other lady on the on the passenger side and this lady was in utter dismay with her eyes bulging out very shocked shaking her fingers thrusted into the dashboard and the cop the policeman asked the driver what's wrong with your sister and she said well sir to best explain this would be to say if this is Highway 20, we just got off of 150. Matter of interpretation, right? Matter of, uh, the postmodernists say, you look and however you assess the situation, that is your truth. 
you're obviously wrong. The Bible is unapologetic about the, the truth that the Bible proclaims, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus doesn't say, uh, I told the truth. But Jesus says, I am the truth. The truth is a person, brothers and sisters. John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Early Christians boldly insisted their salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Acts 4.12 The gospel message about life, the life and death of the, and the resurrection of Jesus is described as the word of truth. Ephesians 1.13, Colossians 1.5 Christians are said to be those who belong to the truth. We live in a society that, that tries to encourage individualism and um, to relativize all truth claims. And if we go with the Bible, they're going to say that's arrogant. To say that the Bible is true, that there's an overarching story, that, that there is a meta-narrative, that God created us in His image, that we fell into sin, that God provided the solution in Jesus, and by faith in Him we are saved. And to say that that's exclusive to salvation, that Jesus is the only way to salvation, that's arrogant. And many times we shy away from preaching the gospel because we don't want to make the other ones feel obstructed. But brothers and sisters, the power of the gospel is in the story of Jesus Christ, which is not just a story, it doesn't belong to just one community, it's overarching and it's valid for every single person. Whoever hears and comes to the Lord will be saved. And that's what we need to proclaim. But one thing that I want to draw your attention to, and I will conclude with this, yes, the message of the gospel may be um, offensive to the people around us because it's exclusive. But we are not to be offensive. It is sometimes true that people become offensive as they try to preach the gospel by their nature, by the way they are. We are to love, we, we are to understand, we are to communicate in a loving way, but yet never shy away from the truth of the gospel. I invite you to please stand up. And let's pray for our children and for ourselves that we will embrace the truth and only the truth and we will know how to communicate it to a world that is dying, that is engrossed in sin. Let's all pray together that God will equip us. Amen.